Chapter Two of Cleopatra by Georg Ebers, translated by Mary J. Safford. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Two. When Caesarion's companion reached Dion and Gorgias, the former modestly made a movement to retire, but Archibius was acquainted with both and begged him to remain. There was an air of precision and clearness in the voice and quiet movements of this big, broad-shouldered man, with his robust frame and well-developed limbs. Though only a few years beyond forty, not merely his gray hair, but the calm, impressive dignity of his whole manner indicated a more advanced age. The young king yonder, he began in a deep musical voice, motioning towards the equipage, wished to speak to you here in person, Gorgias, but by my advice he refrained from mingling with the crowd. I have brought him hither in a closed carriage. If the plan suits you, enter it and talk with him while I keep watch here. Strange things seem to be occurring. And yonder, or am I mistaken? Has the monster dragged along there any connection with the twin statues of the queen and her friend? Was it you who selected that place for them? No, replied the architect. The order was issued over my head and against my will. I thought so, replied the other. This is the very matter of which Caesarion wishes to speak. If you can prevent the erection of the statues on Didymus's land, so much the better. I will do everything in my power to aid you, but in the queen's absence that is little. Then what can be said of my influence? asked the architect. Who in these days knows whether the sky will be blue or gray tomorrow? I can guarantee one thing only. I will do my best to prevent this injury of an estimable citizen, interference with the laws of our city, and violation of good taste. Say so to the young king, but express yourself cautiously, replied Archibius, as the architect turned towards the carriage. As soon as Dion and the older man were alone, the latter inquired the cause of the increasing uproar, and as, like every well-disposed Alexandrian, he esteemed Archibius and knew that he was intimately acquainted with the owner of the imperiled garden, and therefore with his granddaughter Barine, he confided his anxiety to him without reserve. Iris is your niece, it is true, he said in his open-hearted manner, but I know that you understand her character. It suits her now to fling a golden apple into the path of a person whom she dislikes and believes incautious that she may pick it up and thus afford her an opportunity to bring a charge of theft. Noting the inquiring glance Archibius fixed upon him as he made this comparison, he changed his tone and continued more earnestly. Zeus is great, but destiny is superior even to him. Zeus can accomplish much, but when Iris and your sister Charmian, who unfortunately is now with the queen, wish to effect anything, he, like the regent Mardian, must give way." the more lovable cleopatra is the more surely every one prizes a position near her person above aught else especially such trifles as law and justice these are harsh words responded archibius and seem the more bitter in proportion to the germ of truth which they contain our court shares the fate of every other in the east and those to whom rome formerly set the example of holding law and justice sacred can now go there 
interrupted Dion, to learn how rudely both are trampled underfoot. The sovereigns here and there may smile at one another like the augurs. They are like brothers. But with the difference, Archibius broke in, that the head of our public affairs is the very embodiment of affability and grace, while in Rome, on the contrary, harsh severity and bloody arrogance or even repulsive servility guide the reins here archibius interrupted himself to point to the shouting throng advancing towards them you are right dion answered let us defer this discussion till we can pursue it in the house of the charming barine but i rarely meet you there though by blood you are so nearly allied to her father i am a friend at my age that might easily mean her lover but in our case the comparison would not suit yet perhaps you will believe me for you have the right to call yourself the friend of the most bewitching of women a sorrowful smile flitted over the grave set features of the older man who raising his hand as if in protest answered carelessly i grew up with cleopatra but a private citizen loves a queen only as a divinity i believe in your friendship for barine though i deem it dangerous if you mean that it might injure the lovely woman replied dion raising his head more proudly as if to intimate that he required no warning even from him perhaps you are right only i beg you not to misunderstand me i am not vain enough to suppose that i could win her heart but unfortunately there are many who cannot forgive the power of attraction which she exerts over me as well as upon all so many men gladly visit barine's house that there are an equal number of women who would rejoice to close it among them of course is iris she dislikes my friend nay i fear that what you witness yonder is the apple she flung in order if not to ruin at least to drive her from the city ere the queen may the gods grant her victory ere cleopatra returns you know your niece iris like your sister charmian she will shrink from nothing to remove an annoyance from her mistress's pathway and it will hardly please cleopatra when she learns that the two youths whose welfare lies nearest her heart antyllus and caesarion seek barine's house no matter how stainless the latter's reputation may be i have just heard of it replied archibius and i too am anxious antony's son has inherited much of his father's insatiable love of pleasure but caesarion he has not yet ventured out of the dreamland which surrounds him into actual life what others scarcely perceive deals him a serious blow i fear eris is sharpening arrows for him which will pierce deep into his heart while talking with me he seemed strangely changed his dreamy eyes glittered like a drunkard's when he spoke of barine i fear i fear impossible cried dion in surprise nay almost terror if that is the case iris is not wholly wrong and we must deal with the matter differently but it is of the first importance to conceal the fact that caesarion has any interest in the affairs of the old house-owner to seek to maintain the old man's right to his own property is a matter of course and i will undertake to do this and try to get yonder orator home just see how the braggart is swinging his arms in iris's service as for barine it will be well to induce her to leave of her own free will a city where it will be made unpleasant for her 
tried to persuade her to pursue this course if i went to her with such a suggestion i who yesterday no no besides she might hear that iris and i she would imagine all sorts of absurdities you know what jealousy means to you whom she esteems she would surely listen and she need not go far from the city if the heart of this enthusiastic boy who might some day desire to be king of kings not only in name should really be fired with love for barine what serious misfortune might follow we must secure her from him she could not go to my country house among the papyrus plantations at sebenes it would afford too much license for evil tongues but you your villa at canopus is too near but if i am not mistaken you have my estate in the lake region is remote enough and will be at her disposal interrupted the other the house is always kept ready for my reception i will do my best to persuade her for your advice is prudent she must be withdrawn from the boy's eyes i shall learn the result of your mission to-morrow cried dion eagerly nay this evening if she consents i will tell iris as if by accident that barine has gone to upper egypt to drink new milk or something of that kind iris is a shrewd woman and will be glad if she can keep aloof from such trifles during the time which will decide the fate of cleopatra and of the world my thoughts too are always with the army said archibius how trivial everything else seems compared with the result which will be determined in the next few days but life is made up of trifles they are food drink maintenance should the queen return triumphant and find caesarion in wrong paths we must close them against him exclaimed dion that the boy may not follow barine asked archibius shaking his head i think we need feel no anxiety on that score he will doubtless eagerly desire to do so but with him there is a wide gulf between the wish and its fulfilment antyllus is differently constituted he would be quite capable of ordering a horse to be saddled or the sails of a boat to be spread in order to pursue her beyond the cataract if necessary so we must maintain the utmost secrecy concerning the place to which barine voluntarily exiles herself but she is not yet on her way replied dion with a faint sigh she is bound to this city by many ties i know it answered archibius confirming his companion's fear the latter pointing to the equipage said in a rapid earnest tone gorgias is beckoning but before we part let me beseech you to do everything to persuade barine to leave here she is in serious danger conceal nothing from her and say that her friends will not leave her too long in solitude archibius with a significant glance shook his finger at the young man in playful menace and then went up to the carriage caesarion's clear-cut but pallid face whose every feature resembled that of his father the great caesar bent towards them from the opening above the door as he greeted both with a formal bend of the head and a patronizing glance his eyes had sparkled with boyish glee when he first caught sight of the friend from whom he had been separated several weeks but to the stranger he wished to assume the bearing which beseemed a king he desired to make him feel his superior position for he was ill-disposed towards him he had seen him favoured by the woman whom he imagined he loved and whose possession he had been promised by the secret science of the egyptians whose power to unveil the mysteries of the future he firmly believed antyllus antony's son had taken him to barine and she had received him with the consideration due his rank 
spite of her bright graciousness boyish timidity had hitherto prevented any word of love to the young beauty whom he saw surrounded by so many distinguished men of mature years yet his beaming expressive eyes must have revealed his feelings to her doubtless his glances had not been unobserved for only a few hours before an egyptian woman had stopped him at the temple of his father caesar to which according to the fixed rules governing the routine of his life he went daily at a certain hour to pray to offer sacrifices to anoint the stone of the altar or to crown the statue of the departed emperor caesarion had instantly recognized her as the female slave whom he had seen in barine's atrium and ordered his train to fall back fortunately his tutor rhodon had not fulfilled his duty of accompanying him so the youth had ventured to follow the slave woman and in the shadow of the mimosas in the little grove beside the temple he found barine's litter his heart throbbed violently as full of anxious expectation he obeyed her signal to draw nearer still she had granted him nothing save the favour of gratifying one of her wishes but his heart had swelled almost to bursting when resting her beautiful white arm on the door of her litter she had told him that unjust men were striving to rob her grandfather didymus of his garden and she expected him who bore the title of the king of kings to do his best to prevent such a crime it had been difficult for him to grasp her meaning while she was speaking there was a roaring sound in his ears as if instead of being in the silent temple grove he was standing on a stormy day upon the surf-beaten promontory of lochias he had not ventured to raise his eyes and look into her face not until she closed with the question whether she might hope for his assistance did her gaze constrain him to glance up ah what had he not fancied he read in her imploring blue eyes how unspeakably beautiful she had appeared he had stood before her as if bereft of his senses his sole knowledge was that he had promised with his hand on his heart to do everything in his power to prevent what threatened to cause her pain then her little hand with its sparkling rings was again stretched towards him and he had resolved to kiss it but while he glanced around at his train she had already waved him a farewell and the litter was borne away he stood motionless like the figure of a man on one of his mother's ancient vases staring in bewilderment after the flying figure of happiness whom he might easily have caught by her floating locks how he raged over the miserable indecision which had defrauded him of so much joy yet nothing was really lost if he succeeded in fulfilling her wishes she could not fail to be grateful and then he pondered over the person to whom he should apply mardian the regent or the keeper of the seal no they had planned the erection of the group of sculpture in the philosopher's garden to iris his mother's confidant nay last of all to her the cunning woman would have perceived his purpose and betrayed it to the regent ah if charmian his mother's other attendant had been present but she was with the fleet which perhaps was even now engaged in battle with the enemy at this recollection his eyes again sought the ground he had not been permitted to take the place in the army to which his birth entitled him while his mother and charmian but he did not pursue this painful current of thought for a serious reproach had forced itself upon him and sent the blood to his cheeks he wished to be considered a man and yet in these fateful days which could determine the destiny of his mother his native city egypt and that rome which he the only son of caesar was taught to consider his heritage he was visiting a beautiful woman thinking of her and of her alone 
His days and half the nights were passed in forming plans for securing her love, forgetful of what should have occupied his whole heart. Only yesterday Iris had sharply admonished him that in times like these it was the duty of every friend of Cleopatra and every foe of her foes to be with the army at least in mind. He had remembered this, but instead of heeding the warning, the thought of her had merely recalled her uncle, Archibius, who possessed great influence, not merely on account of his wealth, but because everyone also knew his high standing in the regard of the queen. Besides, the clever, kindly man had always been friendly to him from childhood, and like a revelation came the idea of applying to him and to the architect Gorgias, who had a voice in the matter, and by whom he had been strongly attracted during the period while he was rebuilding the wing assigned to the prince in the palace at Lochias so one of the attendants was instantly dispatched with a little tablet which invited gorgias to the interview at the temple of isis then in the afternoon cesarean went secretly in a boat to the little palace of archibius situated on the seashore at canopus and now as the latter with his friends stood beside the carriage door he explained to them that he was going with the architect to old didymus to assure him of his assistance this was unadvisable in every respect but it required all the weight of the older man's reasons to induce the prince to yield the consequences which might ensue should the populace discover that he was taking sides against the regent would be incalculable but submission and withdrawal were especially difficult to the young king of kings he longed to pose as a man in dion's presence and as this could not be he strove to maintain the semblance of independence by yielding his resolve only on the plea of not desiring to injure the aged scholar and his granddaughter finally he again entreated the architect to secure didymus in the possession of his property when at last he drove away with archibius twilight was already gathering torches were lighted in front of the temple and the little mausoleum adjoining the cella and pitch-pans were blazing in the square end of chapter two